Welcome to the Repentance Podcast. I'm Maxwell Hill. I'm Riley Jeffs, and we are your co-hosts. As disciples of Christ and sinners who have struggled to overcome the addictive behaviors of pornography and masturbation, repentance is confusing for us. In this podcast, we explore topics and questions in an effort to bring clarity to the repentance process so we can all be more effectively changed by the power of the Godhead. We touch on sensitive topics with the intent of keeping them sacred and not sensational. Hello everyone, this is Riley Jeffs with the Repentance Podcast. As Maxwell has stated in his own episode, both of us have decided to share our own journeys, our own stories of repentance in part so that our listeners can know a little more where we're coming from and also with the hope that as we share our experience that people may be able to draw things from it that will make them feel like they're not alone first off and that maybe they'll be able to learn something you know it's really it's it's honestly kind of intimidating to share a story that has taken years and years and years in a podcast episode that's going to be fairly short. It's intimidating because of the length, but also because of the content. And I'm still in the middle of my journey and my story. I still make a lot of mistakes. And I'm honestly, I can honestly be a pretty fickle man with a lot of doubts and a lot of things I'm working through. So I hope that as, as I share what I do, that... People can draw what they need to, and also that that God can make up for my shortcomings as I speak and what comes across. As I've stated before, I have struggled for many years with the addictive behaviors of pornography and masturbation, and sexuality has always been a very confusing topic in my life. I am gay or experience same-sex attraction. And that combined with the culture that I've grown up in in the church has led to a lot of confusion in those areas. I I would say I first started to, well, it's hard to say when I was first exposed to pornography because when I was young, like 11 or 12, I'd, I would say that maybe, that maybe when it began, but the things I was viewing weren't hard pornography. There were things that I was curious about. And honestly, I may have beaten myself up about them then and a little later in my life. But looking back now, I'm like, oh, you were really hard on yourself. <laughs> I I would tell myself I was curious about bodies like mine because I didn't know, have any context for or... I just had no awareness for my sexuality. Like it hadn't even really crossed my mind that boys could be attracted to boys or girls could be attracted to girls. And even, even without the homosexuality factor, sexuality is just a confusing thing as you're moving forward through it. So I was just really confused. I I was just more curious is what I told myself about bodies like mine. Um, looking at things like anatomy books at the library and uh, Greek art and things like that. I just told myself I was curious. 
So that's, it's hard to pinpoint when it first started, but it did eventually lead to more of a habit of seeking out things like this because not only was I just curious, but these images were sexually exciting, though I wouldn't have called it that at that time. This this became more of a habit, habit as the years went on, like a, a couple years, a couple, three years later, 13, 14, I think is when I started to feel a little more trapped. Not that I was viewing like, once again, any hard porn, but I was viewing things that were sexually exciting and that I couldn't stop. Like I'd, I'd promise myself, I'd be like, okay, I'm not going to do this again. Then I'd be good for a few weeks or, or even a couple months. And then I'd slip up again, but okay, never again. And it also became like a thing I could run away from painful emotions or experiences with. And so I started to turn to it more and more. I it, it felt kind of though, like I fell into it without it being, without realizing it was a problem until it was too late. So I just, I just felt really, really trapped. And about this time, the church was also pushing a lot how bad pornography was. I remember hearing several general, general conference talks talking about the plague of pornography. And I I heard the things people were saying in those talks. And I was like, oh, this is really bad. And then I took it a step further and I attributed it to myself and thought I am really bad because I view these things because I have chosen to look at this and um, my interpretation of those talks that led to me feeling shame or feeling that I was unworthy of love and belonging it just compounded and built the problem up made it made it much much worse because it made more uncomfortable failings for me to run away from in the use of pornography you know saying all of this I still had a lot of good times growing up. I had a lot lot of good friends. I have a wonderful family, wonderful parents. But I was also confused in this area. And um, sexuality in general just wasn't talked about a ton. So I didn't know what was going on with myself and what these feelings meant. I remember one moment in uh, like a teacher's quorum lesson. I think it was, it was either deacons or teacher's quorums. We were talking about um, uh, the law of chastity and in reference to masturbation, but without a ton of clarity, we were told that it was a sin to touch our own private parts. And you can see where like, that's a tricky, could be a tricky topic to teach. But the way I interpreted those words was like, oh no, I can't touch myself at all. Even when I go to the bathroom or or clean myself in the shower. And so there's, I have all sorts of distortions about that. And I started to believe that anything sexual was wrong. That I was, I was to, I'd, I'd read the first strength of youth pamphlet and interpret what I read as I should experience nothing sexual until I was married. That proved pretty damaging because sexual experiences and enticements and feelings did come like there not I was never sexually active with 
anyone, but you have wet dreams and you have enticements and they just, yeah, I just thought I was sinful for experiencing those. I also was in an extreme denial about my homosexual feelings during this time. It's hard to describe exactly how this is possible, how it could be looking at images of men and think, oh, I am not homosexual or gay. But there's, I, I, I think I just buried it down and thought that, oh, this is this must might just be a phase I'm going through, or this might just be something that um, once once I I uh, get married or once I start dating girls more seriously i'll realize this isn't that big a deal or i there was kind of like a bit of pious part of me that was like i'm just super righteous because i don't look at women um which so weird so twisted but yeah that's that's kind of where i was uh and i all throughout this experience i told no one about it i told Especially when I learned that um, when I when I heard those talks about the plagues of pornography and stuff, I was like, "Oh, I am telling no one." I didn't want to see disappointment in people I loved because I I was always a sucker for praise growing up, and I was a I w- was a perfectionist. Eventually, this led to in my late teens, like seventeen, it led to masturbation, and. At that point, I felt like I'd crossed an irrevocable path. After I'd masturbated the first time, I think I was I was just really, really down. Around this time, I decided even more that I would never tell anyone I loved what I was going through. And I remember thinking to myself that rather than talk about pornography and masturbation, or even worse, because I bury this further, that the images were of men, that I'd rather just not make it to heaven and let my family find out then when I wasn't there with them. I was going to keep it a secret until I died. And um, so I was not, I mean, I, I was, I still had a lot of good things going on in life, but in all of this space, I was swimming in so much shame and was not in a good place at all. Around this time, my family, we sold our house and we were trying to move to a new state kind of on a whim. And we went to visit some family friends to stay with them because we hadn't got a new home yet and we were homeless. And uh, at this at this time, we were a little bit lost. We tried to get a new rental in the new state we were moving to. And Things just weren't working out, and my parents asked our family friend, the the father of our family friends, for a blessing. I got to stand in the room as my father received a blessing from this friend of ours. And uh, this, when my dad received this blessing, it was like a lightning experience for me, like the spirit came upon me and touched my heart and I felt so seen and loved by my father in heaven. And I felt all this 
like courage and love and grace. And it's an experience I can't really describe. And I'm grateful I can't. It's because it's just so beautiful um, and life changing for me. That moment was a big turning moment for me because I felt once again how aware God was of me. I'd, I'd always felt that he was aware of me. That's something I've, I've just known and felt from almost my whole life. Like as far back as I can remember, I've had many experiences where I felt like God knew who I was and loved me. I really believe that I was a child of God. But this moment with the blessing, I just felt so much peace and I knew I needed to tell someone that I needed to talk to my parents. And it took me a long time to get the courage to do so. And by long time, like a couple of days, or maybe it was, it might've been one day, like I, after, <laughs> or a day and a half, something like that. After the blessing, I, I prayed a lot of that night and I read my scriptures and on the way we, we were driving back to uh, Wyoming after that and I listened in the car and Secrets by One Republic came on and I felt even more boosted. I was like, yes, I'm going to give all my secrets away. And so I, we were staying in a campground in Wyoming and I, it was getting night and I hadn't had an opportunity to talk to my parents, but I, um, I went and I was going to, and I got scared and I went off in the trees by myself and I prayed again and I went to where my parents were sleeping in the back of the car. My siblings were in tents and I went in and I told them that I'd been struggling with pornography and, oh, my parents were so loving and they said, they just told me how much they loved me and how we'd work through this and that I could go to bed. And I felt simultaneously so weightless and free for having told someone, but also like super heavy <laughs> at the same time at the thought that, oh man, I felt like repentance was going to be a heavy, long road in front of me that I needed to confess and to a priesthood leader and I was, I was also worried about that and just beating myself up for what I'd done. More shame, not helpful. But I was also happy that I'd said something. My repentance from there, like I, after the my dad got the blessing, we had some kind of miraculous things happen where we ended up getting a rental in Oregon, the state we were moving to. And... We went there and my dad helped me by setting up an appointment with the bishop. And our first Sunday there, I went in and talked with him. And this bishop was so loving. I confessed to my pornography use and my um, masturbation. And he did ask what images I was looking at. And I told him predominantly men. That's the only point where homosexuality came up at all. And uh, we never really talked about that uh, much again, but this bishop was full of so much love, and I remembered feeling a lot of the peace that I had hoped for, and I felt much closer to the Savior. I w was asked to refrain from taking the sacrament, and 
to refrain from participating in administering it because at that time I was an ironic priesthood holder and I accepted graciously. I thought I will do anything to make right what I've done. I will do anything. Yeah, I left his office feeling so much hope and I'd look in the For Strength of Youth pamphlet at the front um, page, which has Heinrich Hoffman's Christ image with um, Christ dressed in white and that's always been one of my favorite images because of the love I feel in his eyes. And I, I felt so much hope and I felt that now that I'd confessed, like that was the thing I'd been worried about for so long that I would be, I would be free. <laughs> like it was over. <laughs> and, you know, my journey was still had a lot ahead, but I'm grateful for that, those moments of peace and save the Savior's love. I moved forward and I did struggle a little bit still, but I was very transparent with my bishop and we worked together and we met often and I'd talk with him and we'd read scriptures and I was preparing for a mission. Yeah, it was just a a good time in my life. I felt like I made a lot of progress and I've worthily put my papers in for a mission, worthily meaning in this sense that I I hadn't I hadn't uh, relapsed and I was well, I was being honest with my bishop and I was being faithful and he knew everything that was going on and how much I'd improved and we put my papers in. I received the Melchizedek priesthood, all good things. And I ended up going on a mission. I went and served in the Oklahoma, Oklahoma City mission, which was the last place on my mind, but is a place I love so much. And I had a wonderful experience there. And pornography and masturbation were in a struggle while I was there, but I I still had a lot of confusions about sexuality because I, yeah, once again, still thought wet dreams were a sin and um, hadn't cleared that up. I just, yeah, and then I hadn't, I hadn't really talked to anyone about my homosexuality at all. Yeah, I hadn't talked to anyone about being gay and I was afraid of it. But um, I will say on my mission, I've, I felt so close to my father in heaven for so much of it. And while I was there, one of the things that I really felt came to me as a revelation was that I did experience same-sex attraction and that that was going to be a reality in my life. And... I actually felt a lot of peace about this. I could sense that, oh, there might be a lot of heartache associated with how this would affect my life moving forward and how, yeah, just moving forward might have some hurt in it for various reasons because of this truth and reality. But I also felt so much peace. And I don't know if I would have accepted the truth that I was gay any other way unless it felt like it came from heaven. I use accepted loosely there because, I mean, I started opening the door of acceptance, but it took a long time and is still taking time. But anyway, I had a wonderful mission, not all easy. A lot of hard things happened on the mission and at home and so, some things that have, that profoundly affected me in hard ways that I probably just don't have time to go into but maybe come up later. But I, I came home and immediately was off to school at Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah, 
Like I was home, only home for a couple of weeks, but I got enrolled in school. I was busy. I had a lot going on and was loving it. And oh, probably a month or two after my mission, I started viewing scenes from movies on a streaming service that were sexually exciting and were not necessarily very, not like super, super terrible, but I could tell I was looking at these things for lustful reasons. So I stopped and I met with my bishop and I told him what I was doing and I told him my past and I told, um, at this point is when I more thoroughly started talking to my family, my family meaning my dad and my mom at this time that I was, I was struggling. I was where I was going to start struggling again with pornography first off. And second that I w- how I would have phrased it at that time was experienced same, stre- same sex attraction, or I may have even said struggled with same sex attraction. This is when I started talking to them and being more reality. Anyway, I would do good for a while, but eventually my habits, it wasn't until another year after my mission that I really felt I had a really bad relapse in pornography. Like there were small things along the way that I would be in touch with my bishop about me trying. and But after that year is when I felt terrible. Um, I went and met with my bishop and he recommended a therapist that I went met with. I am I meeting with this therapist. My whole goal was to overcome my pornography habits with therapy was very helpful in helping me accept myself as a sexual being more. I came to understand more that like nothing was wrong with me for being attracted to men or for having experiencing sexual feelings like those that those were given from God and that it was okay. Those are the biggest things that I learned in therapy and I had to work through a lot to get there, but therapy was really helpful in that regard. I still continue to struggle. I, um, yeah. And you know, my journey has been off and on. I've had a lot of ups and downs since then read lots of books, attended ARP programs. I've, I've done lots of things and um, in all of the things I was reaching out to and trying is how I've actually met Maxwell and we started talking more. And yeah, we, in our discussions, I've learned profound things that I've, that have helped me so much too, as we've written in the manifesto. There is a lot of my story and it's not done yet. I'm still learning now and I'm still struggling. But I wanted to say some of the things that I have learned. I've learned the, some of the most pertinent truths I've learned in my repentance process. This one is very closely linked with belief number one in the manifesto. But I've learned that my heavenly parents my heavenly father and my heavenly mother, Jesus Christ and the Holy ghost are utterly aware of all of my heart that they love me. And I am a child of God. As it says in the manifesto. And as we've talked about before, like that they are the most powerful beings in the universe and they are aware of me and everyone. And 
when we turn our hearts to them, they'll lead us and they'll help us. And if we're, if we're repeatedly turning our hearts to them, it's going to be okay. It's interesting. Elder Hallstrom said in a talk, I think the talk is called a child of God. I'll put it in, in the show notes, a link to it. But he says that, um, the doctrine of being children of God is so basic, so off-stated, and so instinctively simple that it can seem to be ordinary when in reality it is among the most extraordinary knowledge we can obtain. A correct understanding of our heavenly heritage is essential to exaltation. It is foundational to comprehending the glorious plan of salvation and to nurturing faith in the firstborn of the Father, Jesus the Christ, and in his merciful atonement. Further, it provides continual motivation for us to make and keep our indispensable eternal covenant. And why I think that's true, why I think what Elder Hallstrom has said is true is because the more we recognize who we are in relation to God and how powerful they are, we realize that like we can be led by them. We don't have to merit our salvation for ourselves and though we may struggle with the same things um for a long time that if we are continually turning to them it'll be for our good and it'll work out another belief and truth pertinent to my print repentance is well okay in in oklahoma where i serve my mission in oklahoma there the wind really does come sweeping down the plane uh, we'd, I remember biking with companions and we'd be singing thou rushing wind that art so strong because <laughs> it really it really can be strong but when when you're biking with the wind at your back it's like you're flying it helps you so much and you can't I didn't always notice it was there until we turned around at the end of my mission I had this prompting from the spirit I just felt like God said I've been here the whole time like the wind behind your back and why this truth matters to me in my repentance is I used to believe, and we've mentioned this too, that God, like once I had relapsed in pornography or masturbation, that God was not with me for a waiting period, that I was all alone because I was unworthy. And that mentality kept me from turning to him sooner. It kept me from reaching out. It kept me from seeking more guidance and it, it led me to relapse even more. And so I I believe firmly that the Savior and our Father in Heaven are with us and know our experience, especially when we think we are unworthy of their presence or love. Believing that they're intimately involved has helped me to garner strength in times when I least expected to. Another belief, and probably the last one I'll share, is that um, Jesus Christ and his infinite continuous atonement are bigger than anything I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of, including myself, my past sins, or anything I could do or become. This realization was a faith builder because it eliminated fear for me. No longer was I afraid of where my path might lead. As much as I was believing and trusting in Christ and knowing that 
what he had done for me was bigger than any of that. So also this belief also gave me a lot of peace about other people and their choices and their repentance because Christ, it like once again reaffirmed me that Christ is the Lord. He is the savior. He's their savior and he's mine. And we need to just turn to him. Yeah. I just know, I know so much that the savior wants all of us and all of us collectively, but all of us individually, all of me, all of you. And he wants us now. And he wants us in all of our fickle feelings. He wants us in all of our, all of our doubts, all of our shortcomings, our senseless lusts. He's willing to take all of us and to help us become more. So those are some of my core beliefs that I've learned in my repentance that are also linked to the manifesto. Everything in the manifesto is also something or are things that have helped me so profoundly. Um, my repentance now, moving forward, I have been examining things in my life that relate to the factors Kevin brought up in his episode, the biological the psychological, the sociocultural, and spiritual factors in my life that relate to my repentance. So I've been reading books about um, certain mental health things that could be helpful for me um, that I'll wait to talk about <laughs> probably until I, I learn a little more. But I'm also examining uh, psychological, which is psychologically even more, which is what I've probably focused most of my repentance on. As Maxwell has talked about with cognitive behavioral therapy, I have been analyzing past experiences. I've been thinking about what I'm feeling and how I'm behaving and what thoughts and beliefs I have had that have led to those things, which has been really important because as I've talked about in the past, my issues with pornography, I often turn to pornography and masturbation when I'm feeling feelings that I don't want to feel. So when I analyze like why I'm feeling angry or sad or depressed or bored, as I've thought about those and thought about the thoughts and beliefs that might be contributing to that, I've learned profound things about myself, gotten out of false beliefs like I am sin or that I am wrong for experiencing sexual things and feeling sexual feelings. Yeah, it's that the psychological has been very helpful and I'm still moving forward. There's a lot to unpackage. And um, the other factors, the sociocultural is one I've been thinking a lot too. And to me, that's pretty linked with the psychological because, uh, well, there's a lot of influence in our culture. It's hypersexualized. The media can often be that way. And I'm someone who loves media. But uh, being aware of that is what I'm doing moving forward. And also being aware of shame in sociocultural settings. Being a gay man in the church has led to a lot of shame. It's hard when you experience feelings that make a lot of people uncomfortable or they don't know how to talk about it. And it's also hard when you're in a culture that is constantly stressing the importance of marriage to a woman 
and eternal families, which are, are beautiful truths that I'm, I'm glad are taught. But when the culture is constantly that and ha- doesn't provide more space for a discussion of these types of feelings, it's just easier to feel shame about it. So I'm, I've been analyzing past experiences in that regard and considering the effects of shame in my life as part of a sociocultural factor. Another thing that's helped me in my repentance is writing. Writing in the sense of journaling and reflecting upon my life. I've been writing other things too that I think also help. It's just a, It's just another thing for me to do that is a positive outlet and also lets me reflect. And it's, you know, it can be discouraging at times, but it's also exciting to be on the front lines of my own journey. And to accept that there will be difficult things along the way, but that I am moving forward. There's there's a quote from, let me find it, from Elder Eyring. He says, or I guess President Eyring now, He says, if you are on the right path, it will always be uphill. The Lord is anxious to lead us to the safety of higher ground. This life can be very difficult. I talk to a lot of friends who go through really hard things and who experience addictive behaviors like this or others. And uh, life can be, it can feel really heavy and be bleak. I think it's important to remember once again how intimately intimately involved the Savior is and how much he loves and is guiding us. I I love him very much and I am grateful for anyone who's listening to this, who has listened to our other episodes and who is seeking connection with other people who may be struggling. And once again, if you have, have any thoughts or comments please, please, please reach out to us. We, we want to hear from you. And um, we know that connection is something that also helps us all heal. I am grateful for the Savior, and I say this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We are sinners who empathize with the struggle to change, and we want to engage with our listeners. If you have questions, thoughts, feedback, or insights, please fill out the contact form at therepentancepodcast.com or email us directly at hello at therepentancepodcast.com. Please remember that we do not represent the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor are we authorities on these topics. Rather, we are opening a discussion where unique perspectives and insights can be shared. Thank you.